And welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by Scoofus Capital Management. It's April 27th, 2022. It's a Wednesday afternoon, and I'm Justin Nielsen, your host. And normally, I would have Arusha Pires along with me, but uh, he's he's out this, uh, this week. So he's going to be taking a little bit of a break, but I have a special guest to replace him. That is David Saito Chung. Uh, he is known as our hat man in chief. Uh, he's got a lot of roles, actually. So the, <laughs> the, the, the official title is Deputy Markets Editor at Investors Business Daily. Uh, and as well as being a long-term colleague, he's also, uh, gosh, let's let's think about this. Uh, he helps manage the leaderboard uh, model portfolio, uh, curates the Investors Corner articles, uh, was an author of Investors Business Daily, Making of Millionaires, uh, plays chess, Harvard man golf aficionado, whiskey, <laughs> wine. Um, what, what am I missing here? Uh, oh, frequent host and panelist on the IBD live show. Uh, so this is why, you know, he wears a lot of hats. This is why we call him the hat man in chief. So uh, welcome to the show, David. Justin, uh, I, I haven't heard that positive a introduction in a long while. So uh, hats off to you, my friend. <laughs> okay. And uh, hats off, hats off from the hat man. Okay, perfect. So um, now, in, in, in addition to all of that that I just mentioned that David has done, uh, one of the things he did back when we had our master's program, we had one of our more popular sections was led by David, a presentation that he did called Investing with Conviction. So we're going to turn that on its head a little bit and kind of go on the other side when it's time to maybe not have conviction and to you know really think defense. So that's what we're going to cover in our learning segment. And of course, David got uh, some watch list names that he's going to share with us. But first, let's go ahead and talk about the market right now, the current market. So uh, how about if we start with the S&P 500, David, and I'll go ahead and just try and get your take real quick. Absolutely. Well, since Friday or April 22nd, IBD did change the outlook to the worst level, the market and correction for the third time already this year in 2022. And so given what happened in today on Wednesday, it's really not surprising to see the S&P 500 trading roughly almost 15% off its all-time highs. That qualifies as an intermediate correction for sure, doesn't it, Justin? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I should mention just a little behind the scenes. I mean, we were really close to going to that market and correction on Thursday. That was a, a pretty rough day. The NASDAQ had undercut its lows. If mm -hmm. we just go over there real quick, I'll kind of show what the NASDAQ looked like. Um, the NASDAQ undercut its lows uh, from the previous couple weeks, that whole area. Um, but the reason why we didn't was because the S&P 500 was holding right above those lows. So that was kind of making it a little bit, okay, do we go to correction or not? Because the S&P 500 was certainly the leading index. Without question, uh, you know, we've continued to see this amazing recovery by the cyclicals, namely metals and oil and gas, and to some extent, financial stocks as well. That would include insurance, not mm -hmm. just the banks. Uh, so it really makes the point here that you, you have to look at multiple indexes. We've been watching the Russell 2000, obviously the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ 100, and those, those indexes are not only in a correction, they're in bear market territory. 
-hmm. with the Nasdaq uh, failing to really make a big move today on Wednesday after that nearly 4% uh, throttling, if you will, we are still now 23, 24% off the peak of 16,212 on the Nasdaq. So in this kind of situation, defense is really key. And that's something we're going to talk about uh, during the show. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that was really kind of interesting is it seemed like it was it was definitely a bifurcated market, right? You had as ugly as the indexes looked, you had this whole other area of of strength. You know, as you mentioned, the cyclicals, whether it was the energy stocks, here's XLE, the energy selects uh, sector spider fund uh, that was, you know, I mean, even with the, the route last week, it, it's still right there at its 50-day moving average line. You had a lot of the materials, um, you know, maybe if we just look at XME, the, the metals and mining, um, you know, that was looking so strong. But man, it, it was like they just pulled the rug out right from under you with all of these stocks that were holding up well, uh, having some drops of 10% in a day. So when, when you kind of think that you're in the right stuff and then all of a sudden it's, uh, you know, it, those aren't working. Uh, does that kind of change your, your thinking? Absolutely. The, you, you don't really necessarily look for a reason for why these stocks fall five, 10% or more in a single day. Sometimes it's very obvious, right, Justin? It's, it's earnings mm -hmm. sometimes. Uh, it, it's some big piece of news that is right. really black, blanket, blanketing the industry. But in this situation, you know, it's really uh, what the market tends to do, rising in an escalator-like fashion and then sometimes falling like an elevator. The good news here is that with these energy metals plays, they haven't taken an elevator all the way back to the ground floor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, they 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 went, you know, maybe halfway down. Uh, right. And certainly, one right. of the things that was was rough is, and and this can be frustrating, is you see weeks or even months of progress just dissipate in in a matter of hours uh, sometimes. And so, as, as an investor, you know, what what can you take away from that in terms of uh, should you have, done, you know, I mean, it's it's obvious you start thinking of what should I have done differently? If you're holding on to them and you, you took that whole ride down, you start thinking, okay, should I have sold into strength? Should I have, um, you know, had a trailing stop? What kind of, what kind of things do you use? What kind of strategies do you use in order to uh, make sure you're not kind of caught off guard? Well, Justin, in my 20 plus years of working for IBD and learning how to invest in the canceling method, uh, I've really learned that rules take precedence over emotion. So when you are up 20 to 25% in a stock or ETF over a short period of time, you often want to feel like you want to wait for that extra 20, another 20 to 25% gain, right? <laughs> yeah. Whereas our rules really teach all investors to take profits in most of our companies, most of those stocks, at that 20 to 25% range, which allows you to be wrong in other stocks, so long as you cut your losses at seven to 8%, you're maintaining a three to one win-loss ratio. It's tough to do with that emotion of greed uh, and hope driving you to hold that stock longer. But the recent action goes really proves again that the M in CanSlim, the market, really is the most important factor. So. 
this year has been challenging even for those cyclical stocks. They've been running up since the fourth quarter of 2020. And on IBD Live, a number of panelists have said that, you know, we're kind of in the middle to late innings in these stocks. So that means more volatility, perhaps less upside in the near term, more potential for these kind of corrections. So, you know, in some, we do want to try as best to defy our emotion by selling most of our companies or at least a portion of those stocks at that 20 to 25% profit potential. And then the trailing stop idea is good too, because if it doesn't reach that profit level, but starts to come down fast, like these elevator declines, salvage as much of the gains you can before you be, be, before you see them all completely dissipate. Right. And that's where moving average lines can really come into play because they almost act as a little bit of a trailing stop for you. Uh, the, the more progress you make, the more those moving average lines are going to rise. And just kind of naturally, if you're using that as a stop, uh, they're going to kind of naturally put that stop higher and higher as the price goes up. But certainly you have to be careful of, uh, and this is something we talk a lot about on the leaderboard, when things get very extended from their moving average lines, it's almost mm -hmm. more important to think about taking some of those profits because that's where uh, you kind of almost expect a little bit of a reversion to the mean. Totally. Uh, and back to your point, Justin, about the moving averages, there's a good reason why we paint that 50-day moving average in red. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's a very important technical <laughs> right. level to look at. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Uh -huh. more, more recently, and so that, that, that goes across the board in all of our products, you know, the, the charts on ipinvestors.com, Marcus Smith, swing, swing trader, or leaderboard. And then more recently, because the market tends to move a little more quickly than, say, 60 years ago, we see that 21-day exponential moving average, the, the, the line that's usually drawn in green, as another important level to watch to help you lock in at least some gains if you don't happen to get the very, very top, which is mm -hmm. extremely hard to do anyway. Mm -hmm. um, now, one one last thing before we kind of move on to our next segment, I just want to kind of revisit the S&P 500 because our guest last week was Eric Krull, and we were talking about how the S&P 500 hadn't quite gotten down uh, to where it had undercut or closed below the follow-through day of March 16th. So here we have the March 16th follow-through day um, that I'm kind of noting in, in, in red there for our viewers that are watching this on video. And uh, certainly we we didn't get there Friday, but um, you know Monday we undercut intraday, uh, didn't close below it. Uh, Tuesday, we did close below that follow through day. And that usually does kind of sign a, a, a death knell for for the index, uh, kind of ends a rally a lot of times. Um, you know, you're usually gonna see the, the low get, get challenged. Uh, now in this case, we did undercut the March lows but that February 24th low still remains intact for the S&P 500. Uh, so, you know, we'll see. But one of the things that's been kind of tricky, I mean, we had a strong reversal on Monday, and that might have been enough to make some people think, hey, is, is, it, is, is it over? Is it time for me mm -hmm. to get back in? Um, is, is there anything that you can kind of say to uh, allow for people to consider the other side of things about being patient or when when is it you know when is it truly oversold and time to to think about going in heavy even if it's in an index etf 
That's a very big question and a, and a very important question, Justin. And it involves looking not only at the S&P, but also the action of the NASDAQ, the action of uh, various leading stocks. And right now, we are not seeing many fresh new bases and fresh breakouts from early stage bases, mm -hmm. uh, which would give me a lot more confidence that, yes, we've turned a corner in terms of this correction. Two, we've talked a lot on IBD Live, for instance, and the Stock Market Today videos about the growing bearishness among various psychological indicators. And while that's positive uh, in a sense that at some point we'll see uh, a, to a total exasperation uh, and desperation among sellers, that usually points to a possible market bottom. But in my mind, I don't think we're seeing um, extreme bearishness yet. So. Mm -hmm. That's something that I, I like like to watch. Uh, finally, you know, the follow through day. Well, we, we're looking for a new one, and the, it's it is very disappointing. I would say for many listeners uh, of, of your podcast that for a while it looked like that March 16th follow through was going to work because it it actually uh, survived uh, two weeks without a distribution day. In other words, uh, a mm -hmm. pronounced uh, heavy selling day by institutions, decline of 0.2% or more in the S&P or the NASDAQ in higher volume than the prior day. The first distribution day that, that cropped up, Justin, happened to be, according to my notes, on March 31st, it was a 1.6% drop. You know, good, good markets can handle one or two, but then over the next uh, two weeks, we uh, amassed five more distribution days. So that was uh, a really uh, important bearish signal, just as the S&P 500 was struggling to hold those key moving averages itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that I think has been a little bit tricky about this, this market is uh, even when the indexes have been showing strength, a lot of times when you look under the surface, okay, what's driving the strength? And it's a lot of this bottom fishing, a lot of the, the stocks right. that are below their 200-day moving average lines. And it's like, okay, well, what am I going to do with that? I'm not going to be buying, uh, you know, a, a Netflix that's, you know, <laughs> off 70% from its high. Uh, so it, it gets a little tricky. But when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about when it's time to start thinking more defense rather than holding on to the, some of these big winners and David's going to share with us a potential precedent with the Don't Fight the Fed theme. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Peter Skoufis, founder of Skoufis Capital, has successfully managed money using Bill O'Neill's strategy for the last 17 years. Peter's missed major market crashes, such as the financial crisis of 2008, and most recently, the coronavirus crash of 2020. One of his strengths is finding new leadership in new market uptrends. If you would like to talk to Peter and get his thoughts on the current market and what to do now, or get a complimentary review of your portfolio, feel free to contact him at scoofuscapital.com. That's S-K-O-U-F-I-S capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. And fill out the contact form or by calling 866-562-2634. Protect your capital and don't miss the next market uptrend. Okay, welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by Scoofus Capital Management. It's Justin Nielsen here, along with my guest, David Saito Chung, Deputy Markets Editor, Hatman-in-Chief, and all-around general nice guy. So, David, uh, you, you came up with a really interesting precedent to talk about uh, 
and that's that's the 1994-95. What was it about 94-95 that kind of made you think, hey, this is something worth taking a look at? Well, thank you, Justin. I'm really glad that we have a chance to talk about this one in, in depth. And while it wasn't a very deep correction from off the highs when the major indexes peaked in 94, what really drew me and, and hopefully you as well to studying this period of time was a lot of parallels between what happened then in terms of monetary policy, macroeconomic events, and what's going on today. Mm -hmm. Good point. So uh, let's go ahead and start with the S&P 500, and we'll take a look at that. And I've just put my uh, change date feature on MarketSmith back to uh, 1996, just kind of went right back to April of 1996. I'm looking at a weekly chart, and you can see that, I mean, the, just a really powerful move uh, that happened in 95. I'm showing that. But what we're going to be really paying attention to is this time period in 94, 95, where... Uh, the, the index really didn't move that much. It just uh, couldn't seem to make much progress. And this was, keep in mind, in the go-go 90s. Exactly, exactly. And so specifically, Justin, the S&P 500 corrected just merely 10% off its peak way back then in 482. The NASDAQ fell a little bit more, about 15%, 14 to 15%. But it was a long, drawn-out correction and there were lots of things going on. Let me, let me just highlight a few. One was you had the Federal Reserve concerned about inflation uh, and other uh, issues raising... Sounds familiar. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> raising interest rates seven times uh, over a period of just one year uh, from February 1994 to February 1995, 300 basis points in total. And just like we talked about during the break, initially they started out with several 25 basis point or quarter point hikes in the Fed funds rate, then they accelerated. In fact, one of those rate hikes was a 75 basis point hike uh, and eventually topped off with a 50 basis point hike, uh, sending the Fed funds rate to 6% in February 1995. Now, also at the from same 3%. time- From 3%. Yes, so from 3%. 300 basis points, yeah. 300 basis points, doubling, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so either way you cut it, a significant change in monetary policy. At the same time, what's interesting back then was, well, we were in the middle of a, uh, a tragic war happening in the former Yugoslavia. Uh, that started from April 92 until the end of 1995 when leaders of Bosnia, Croatia, and Serbia signed the data, uh, Dayton Accords in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, at the time, too, there was concern about uh, possibility of heavy federal spending in the U.S. government. Then President Clinton had announced his plan for a universal health care plan. That was in September 1993. Uh, he also uh, took measures to uh, punish Japan uh, amid a trade war going on between these two superpowers, economic superpowers. That happened in March of 94. In October 94, the Russian ruble plummeted 21% in one day versus the U.S. dollar. Wow. The only difference uh, between that time and now uh, in terms of other markets was crude oil actually was suffering a deep decline. And in March of 28, March 28, 1994, it had hit a five-year low. So mm. just like Mark Twain said, Justin, right, 
history doesn't repeat itself. It often rhymes, but I still think this is a, a useful time to look at because we can also look at this period of time through the lens of various big market winners at the time and how, how, how they fared. Yeah. So maybe we can just start by taking a look because you did mention the NASDAQ um, had a little bit more of a correction. Uh, it went from a peak of 804 uh, down to 690. Um, you know, and that, that was just in a, a, a few months. Um, now, what was interesting, just, you know, before we get to the stocks, it seemed like there was a kind of a, a sharp move down. And while a low might have been made, um, it, 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 that low held for quite a while, but it really didn't make much progress for a while. <laughs> so it's, it's not, you know, it's not that the low, you know, you had multiple waves down where things were getting lower and lower. You kind of had the low, but then it was hard to make progress, it seemed like. For sure. Uh, I remember, and I'm, I'm sure uh, William O'Neill, who founded IBD, probably put this in your ear too, Justin, is that typically in, in a normal bull and bear market cycle, bear markets can last uh, anywhere between nine and 12 months mm -hmm. after a three to four year bull market cycle. And in the case of the S&P and the NASDAQ, certainly it didn't meet that textbook definition of a 20% decline or more, but it was a long period of time, just like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now, again, you were kind of known for your investing with conviction uh, presentation and let's talk a little bit about some of the individual stocks. So when you've got a correction happening, and again, it doesn't have to necessarily be deep, but the stocks you have to expect, especially the growth stocks, you right. have to expect that they're going to correct a lot more than the indexes. So how do you handle some of these big winners? And I mean, you know, we're talking about some of the behemoths of the time, like Cisco, which we mm -hmm. were talking about on IBD Live this morning, and you mentioned how it had a 75,000% uh, <laughs> move from its 1991, uh, you know, double bottom I, from an IPO base to its top in March of 2000. So, right. Right. you know, with stocks like this that had such a phenomenal move, what do you do with them during a period like this when they're uh, just looking like they could be done? Such a great question. And one thing that I've learned about the true market winners is that in a normal correction, expect your winning, winning stocks or the leaders in the market to fall one and a half to two and a half times the decline in the major indexes. So if we're down 10% in the S&P or the NASDAQ, it's perfectly acceptable to see a leading stock fall up to 25%, maybe even 30%. However, Cisco CSCO ticker symbol back then when it peaked after a long run up, just like you talked about, Justin, actually fell 54% off its peak back in 94. And it actually deserved the time to rest and digest those gains. Uh, from that, I believe it was actually October 1990, just a little bit before 1990. Yeah, that's right. But that's, mm -hmm. that's when we had that double bottom breakout, mm -hmm. signature, double bottom base, beautiful move, excellent fundamentals at a time. The fundamentals, of Cisco didn't change very much. However, it just had a gi gigantic move, so it needed time to digest that. And among the very few handful handfuls of super winners, when you've gone up triple, quadruple, quintuple, you've earned the right to, to correct as much as 40 to 50%, but it's very difficult to hold through that. You can always wait 
for the stock to repair itself, set up a new base, and then get back into that stock, uh, which allows you to not have to you know, sit through the agony of a 50% correction. I mean, that, that's, that's a lost capital. And there's no, obviously back then there was no guarantee that Cisco was gonna come back. Fortunately for shareholders, they benefited from a, an outstanding management team, continued execution. They pivoted in their strategy to become more acquisitive uh, in the mid nineties, as opposed to being just uh, the, the tr outright disruptor innovator in how we handle and process and look at information through the internet. Uh, so 54% actually sounds yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty huge correction, but it wasn't alone. You know, Amgen was another example of a big long-term winner. It fell 60% during this 94 to 95 market correction. So that's well more than two and a half times the normal correction you would see. I just also want to highlight, well, Amgen went on to actually survive that 60% drop, Justin, and uh, broke out with the rest of the market, rose 20-fold because it's a, just such a special company. Pfizer fell 40%. Microsoft was actually the best among that small bunch of stocks. It had formed a base on base pattern. And in, the, in, in that uh, first base in 93, it was a 28% drop from high to low. And then in 1994, as the market was cooling off, trying to regain its footing amid all of these different things going on in the world, it fell only 13% in the second part of that base on base. So as we go forward to 2022, what we want to do is look for those companies that are able to fall roughly the same amount as the NASDAQ and the S&P 500, form good patterns in which they show less of a decline because that, that literally means that they probably have a lot of relative strength ready to go uh, shooting out to new highs and giving all of us a chance to make some fast gains um, in, you know, at the right time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one thing I just want to mention, because I, I don't want people to get the sense, you know, we, we had Cisco up before and, you know, we were talking about that, you know, huge rise. I actually, in order to get the, the chart to fit on our screen, <laughs> I, I had to change the scale to, to show because it had a split adjusted, um, you know, price that it was coming out of below $1. And of course, it was not below one dollar at that time in 1990. That double bottom that you mentioned, um, it was you know there were a 25. lot of splits. Yeah, a lot of yeah. splits here along the way. Yeah, I right. Think, yeah, 25, 30 bucks oh, yes. was uh, yeah, or 27 if I recall was the mm -hmm. the, the the double bottom the buy point. point. Um, yes, or, exactly. Oh, or uh, uh, shakeout plus three actually was uh, uh, another potential uh, entry on that one uh, because there was a gap up that would have been tough to handle because it, it, it had one of those pullbacks that, you know, 8%. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, ju just so people know now, one of the things too, since we're talking about Cisco, um, let's just real quickly look because I, I like the idea of what you're saying, you know, rather than hold on to a stock through a 50% correction. And again, as you said, it certainly deserved it. I mean, going below one split adjusted to 20, uh, that, that's a huge move. So correcting down to 10, yeah, that, you know, that's still a move from one to 10. That's not bad. Um, but when, when you have a stock that has such a outsized correction, 50%, uh, usually those are stocks that we avoid. What clues might have you seen on Cisco and some of these leaders that had these massive corrections 
but we're still worth another look when the market turned around. Well, I would say back then, just like what we would do now is to make sure you keep an eye on some key ratings that IBD furnishes, whether it's the EPS rating, would like to continue to see the EPS rating as well as the SMR grade that stands for sales, profit margins, and return on equity to stay strong. When you fall 50%, you're definitely going to get a hit to the relative strength rating because that's a 12-month based price performance gauge. I wouldn't be surprised if at the bottom of that correction, Justin, that Cisco's RS rating fell into the 60s or 50s even. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe even more because the market didn't fall as much over a trailing 12-month period. But in my study of, of big winners like Cisco and Amgen, they might have had a quarter or two of, of a mild deceleration in earnings for share growth, which means a lower year-over-year -year increase percentage-wise in the earnings in the most recent quarter compared to two quarters ago. But then they immediately revved up their growth again and maintained their leadership as a fundamental company. They continued to innovate. They introduced new products, new services that caught fire. That's the right. end in Canslim. And finally, they showed evidence of institutional accumulation. So that's where uh, using uh, our database to see whether funds, the number of funds are, are still buying the stock. Are, are, are we seeing a steady increase in the number of funds mm -hmm. that own it? As well as signs on the chart, though especially the weekly chart, where are you seeing reversals off lows in heavy volume? Are you starting to see volume dry up? on the weekly declines and volumes start mm -hmm. to pick up on the upswing, those little clues will tell you in real time, rather than waiting for that uh, SEC filing, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that institutions are collecting, accumulating shares from weaker shareholders. Yeah. You know, one other thing I would add, you know, in looking at the Cisco chart, and this just seems to be something that I, I like to see if, if you see something that goes down considerably, like one of those 50% bases, uh, those do tend to not work as well. But the ones that do work, what I find is a lot of times you have this tight action. So if we look at the chart and you just kind of see in this, you know, after this big move down, after this big chart uh, consolidation, you have this area right in here where you had kind of this little cup only a 14% decline. So now you had kind of your, your tighter action, you know, and, yes. and that does Great seem to point. be something. Um, but um, I guess to kind of wrap a bow on this, this topic, um, you, you, you talked a lot about the fundamentals and stuff, and that is certainly a part of having the conviction in a stock. Um, but what about the idea that a lot of times the fundamentals look so great at the top? Um, so what do you do? when the fundamentals look great, but something is going on on the technical side. That is a very important point to make again, Justin, because one, yeah, that happens a lot. Everything looks great at the top. That's one of Chris Gessel's favorite sayings, our, our chief content officer. And uh, I'll never forget the time when he mentioned that uh, during, during our discussions of the market in the office. The market is telling you something that's really important for your portfolio. And sometimes stocks will fall off, will fall hard because, because the market is now in poor shape. 
And even the CEOs and the CFOs of those companies have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's what's re- remarkable about the market. <laughs> the, the market knows all, and we have to respect that collective wisdom among so many intelligent, hardworking, bright money managers, particularly money managers out there and, and uh, uh, those managing large accounts. Uh, their decision-making reflects in the price. So that's why we, we often say buy on fundamental technical and institutional strength, but sell on technical weakness. Mm-hmm. You can always get back into a winning stock if it proves that it can be a leader in the next move. And what is it, Justin, that that percentage of stocks that have topped but then go on to rally and lead the next bull market cycle is way in the minority. Yeah, one, one out of eight, uh, according to a study mm-hmm. that Charles Harris and Mike yeah. Webster did um, years ago for, for Bill O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I want to make a last point about the stock market today, we're, we're not saying at all in this podcast that we're expecting a, a similar outcome to what happened in 1994, 1995. Clearly, for one, we, we have made a, a tremendous move uh, from the 2018, end of the 2018 bear market. I believe uh, we were up, let's see, about 162% from in the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ uh, bottomed out in December 2018 to 16,212 in November of 2021. That was 162% gain in just under three years. Meanwhile, going back to the NASDAQ in 1994, before that 14% correction, the NASDAQ had rallied 149% from October 1990 until March of 1994. So, similar time frame. Similar gains, mm-hmm. but keep in mind that, you know, we, we can't really predict the future. We don't, we're not going to, we're not going to say yes, by, by the, you know, by the end of this year, we're going to have another big rally. And that's why it's so important for everyone to just stick to that day-to-day, the week-to-week observation of the major indexes and leading stocks. That's the true heart and guts of speculation. You know, the word speculation itself literally means to watch. Mm-hmm. And the more you keep watching, the more likely you're going to be successful in nailing that market bottom going forward. Great, great points, David. So when we come back, we're going to, speaking of watching, we're going to find out what David Saito Chung is watching for himself. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Peter Skoufis, founder of Skoufis Capital, has successfully managed money using Bill O'Neill's strategy for the last 17 years. Peter's missed major market crashes, such as the financial crisis of 2008, and most recently, the coronavirus crash of 2020. One of his strengths is finding new leadership in new market uptrends. If you would like to talk to Peter and get his thoughts on the current market and what to do now, or get a complimentary review of your portfolio, feel free to contact him at scoofuscapital.com. That's S-K-O-U-F-I-S capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com. And fill out the contact form or by calling 866-562-2634. Protect your capital and don't miss the next market uptrend. 
And welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast, sponsored by Scoofus Capital Management. It's Justin Nielsen here, along with my guest, Hatman-in-Chief, David Saito-Chung, Deputy Markets Editor at Investors Business Daily. And, and David, how long have you been at Investors Business Daily now? Well, believe it or not, uh, it's, it's technically it would be over four decades not uh, not all four decades, but <laughs> right. but I joined I joined uh, the the IBD team in January of 1999, catch, catching the tail end okay. of the dot com bubble. I was a Tokyo Stock Exchange correspondent working for Kyoto News as a bilingual journalist uh, for about a year. Got got my feet real wet in terms of uh, reporting and analyzing the Japanese stock market. Uh-huh. That led me to a, a really strong interest in covering U.S. stocks. So basically from 1999 until the present, I've always been involved in some shape or form with the markets team. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's been incredible. I, I certainly know very early on your Investor's Corner articles were something that uh, I you know, caught my attention. That, that's when I first got the name David in my in my lexicon. <laughs> I'm like, this is someone to watch. So, um, you know, let's take a look at some of the stocks. Uh, oh, you know what? One other thing I wanted to, uh, before we get to stocks, you have a pretty good Twitter uh, Twitter following and a lot of great information that you share there. So I wanted people to have that information too. So what's the best way for people to follow you on Twitter? Well, thanks, Justin. I actually keep two Twitter feeds active. And those of you who want mainly business and investing related tweets, then please check me out at at IBD underscore D, as in David Chung, at IBD underscore D Chung. If you want uh, a little more flavor of, of what I do after 5 p.m., <laughs> which includes uh, breaking out a bottle of whiskey or, or sharing what, what I enjoyed uh, in travels or eating and, or dining uh, over the weekends, plus additional tweets on the stock market, great stocks to watch, sell signals, the whole nine yards with Can Slim. The second Twitter handle would be at Saito Chung, S-A-I-T-O-C-H-U-N-G, all one word, at Saito Chung. So mm-hmm. uh, fortunately, a few people do actually follow both, you know, and I'm very gratified. I just like to maintain both of those. Yeah, and uh, certainly after five o'clock doesn't mean it's all whiskey. There's there's stocks that happen <laughs> after five o'clock too. So well, let's get right into the stocks, and uh, we'll start with uh, a, a biomed biotech stock, uh, Alchemies. This is one that we were talking about a little bit on the IBD Live show today. The ticker symbol symbol is ALKS. So uh, what what is it about this stock that kind of caught your attention? Well, a couple things, Justin. One is we have seen a few biotech and big pharma names holding their own so far in 2022. They, some of them like Moderna and BioNTech made tremendous moves in 2020, 2021, but they've made these deep corrections. In the meantime, we've seen some others really step to the foray. And given how this stock just recently caught our, uh, the entire news team's attention. It's the IBD stock of the day. In fact, today we have a nice article on that. I was impressed by the fact that one, the stock has made a nice move from 12 back in early 2020 to as high as 30, 33 or so. And now it's made what looks like to be a early stage or an earlier stage cup with handle. Mm -hmm. 
and it looks like uh, just hovering over. This is one of the things I like to do in MarketSmith. You hover over, and it kind of gives you some stats. It looks like this uh, latest cup with handle is about 28 weeks long, a depth of 36%, and the handle 10%. So seems to fit all of the categories uh, and, and I guess the ranges that are most appropriate for a cup with handle. Totally agree. Uh, sometimes we do have cup bases that are deeper than 30 to 33%. We generally like to see that as the maximum decline because when you fall only 25%, 20 or 30%, it doesn't take as much uh, firepower to get that stock back near its highs and set up that launching pad for a breakout. So 36% admittedly is a little on the deeper side, but far better than seeing a stock that's fallen 40 to 50%. I find it interesting here too, Justin, on that weekly chart that the relative strength rating, very solid 94 over a 12 month period. Generally, my success with stocks generally uh, comes around, comes among stocks that have an RS of 90 or higher. Plus that relative strength line, that blue line shows sharp outperformance versus the S&P 500 in recent weeks. And it looks like it, it is in fact, hitting and almost hitting new high ground since the start of the formation of that base. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, um, one of the things that's kind of interesting about this is uh, this is this is a stock that was below its 40 week moving average line. We're looking at a weekly chart here. The 40 week moving average line is this black line. And it was below that for you know years. And then it just just recently kind of got a back above it, uh, went below it during this base. And now here we are back above that 40-week line. Um, would you consider this almost like a bottoming base? Uh, I mean, certainly this one is, I think, a little bit more, the, the, the one back in 2020 was maybe sure. a little bit more classic, but would you consider this right. kind of a bottoming base? I would. I would, uh, especially given that, you know, over a long chart that I'm looking at of the weekly, and you could easily see on the monthly chart that the stock had traded as high as 80 way back in 2015, and so it has been a long journey uh, through the wilderness, if you will, in this, <laughs> in this company. And uh, part of the reason is the fact that when I look at the fundamentals in Alchemies, I notice that one, the profit record has been spotty at times, a nice earnings per share in one year and then a severe drop the next year and then a rebound the next year and then flat growth the next year. So that's typically not what we want to see in a true market leader in 2022. In fact, the company is expected to actually post a net loss of 10 cents a share. So the fact that the stock is uh, making a recovery uh, amid an expected drop makes me more curious about what's going on with the company. And therefore, I would highly suggest that people read more about uh, what what the business is all about now. Uh, and you know, the, the sales growth could be a little bit better you can, you can see that the SMR rating is a C. That's generally not what I would, uh, would, would hope for. However, you know, four quarters in a row, double-digit growth, 23%, 11%, 16%, and 11%. Uh, earnings growth in four of the past five quarters, and some of them were fantastic year-over-year -year increases. Uh, on the back on the technical side, Justin, we have an up-down volume ratio of 1.4. What that means is that volume on the up days is 40% higher than overall volume on the down days in this stock over the past 50 sessions or roughly 10 weeks. 
So an interesting mix here of technical strength, uh, interesting fundamentals. Uh, I would like to see more funds that are top rated in this group, and I haven't had a chance to investigate that. But I, I do believe there are uh, a few fund families that are invested in a decent way in ALKS. Mm-hmm. And the medical area, AstraZeneca. Now, you, you mentioned, um, you know, Moderna and uh, BioNTech and you know, AstraZeneca was certainly on the cutting edge in terms of the vaccines. Um, mm-hmm. What is it about uh, AstraZeneca, uh, ticker symbol AZN, that caught your attention? Well, first off, uh, this breakout has been working uh, from its own cup with handle at around 62.74, roughly $63 was the proper buy point. And the stock has gained uh, not quite 20% yet, but at, at, some, at one point it looked like it was headed toward a 20% gain from that entry point. What I like about this one, Justin, is that unlike ALKS, a mid-cap company with about a $5 billion market cap, this is a mega cap in the healthcare field, 108 $87 billion in market value, 2.8 billion shares in float. So it would take a tremendous amount of buying or selling to send the stock in either direction. So far, that direction's up. 92 relative strength rating. RS line is at a new in new high ground, according to the Marketsmith blue dot RS line screen. Company has really strong earnings growth estimates going forward, including a 34% increase for this year, $3.34 a share. That follows some acceleration in the quarterly earnings. For instance, in Q2 of 2021, earnings had fallen 7%, but then reversed to a 6% increase in Q3 and a 57% increase in profit for Q4 of last year. So alongside that, really, really nice accelerating revenue growth. The company uh, continues to be a machine of innovation. Over a hundred different projects in the pipeline, including roughly 15 or so in late-stage clinical trials. And this company, Justin, uh, gets its hands dirty in so many important fields of, of disease, whether it's on, uh, oncology mm-hmm. or immunology, metabolic disorders, rare diseases, cardiovascular. Uh, this is a major company to be watching. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, because it has its fingers in a lot of different things, it's got a big pipeline, a lot of things in late stage that you know could potentially you know drive earnings higher. It's it's one of those things where you have to be very careful of those biotechs where it's kind of a one one hit wonder. Are, and you don't even know if it's a one hit yet, you know, uh, <laughs> it's still right. in its, you know, trials and it's promising. You've, you know, maybe got a phase three, but you know, there's yes. a lot of things that can happen in between your trials and your FDA approval and, and sales. Oh, ab- absolutely. So this, this, this company has been uh, in the market for quite some time. I, I'm looking at a monthly chart and at least according to Marcus Smith, it goes all the way to 1993 mm-hmm. Uh it's taken a long time for the stock to make a 12-fold move, but here again, this is this is a large-cap, mega-cap company that hopefully uh, will maintain support of that 10-week moving average. This is the first test of the 10-week line following a breakout in a normal bull market and good market conditions. We consider that to be a follow-on buy point. 
Obviously, with the marketing correction, there's a little more risk involved with buying, but I think it's just very interesting to see uh, how this stock will do. Mm -hmm. Well, and also, as you mentioned, there's this whole idea of relative strength where when the market is correcting, you know, and it's languishing below its moving average lines, you know, they're below the 200-day moving average line, below the 50-day line. When you see these stocks that are holding above the 10-week line, um, you know, that should get your attention. When you see those relative strength lines that are increasing and getting higher, um, you know, that, that's, that's where we tend to gravitate when building our watch list. Again, not necessarily that we're going to buy right now because of the market conditions, but certainly that's where we fill our watch lists. Um, speaking of which, and since we are on the topic of A's, seems like uh, we might as well take a look at this little stock known as Apple, uh, ticker symbol AAPL, uh, that also begins with an A outside of the, outside of the medical area, but <laughs> in telecom. Um, what yes. is it about Apple that you think might be uh, worth watching here? A lot of things here, Justin. First of all, we have earnings coming up tomorrow after the close. Uh, such a bellwether, not only for the technology sector, but for the market in general. You know, I had read somewhere, Justin, that as much as 15 to 16% of all the money used to buy back stock within the S&P 500 all comes from Apple. <laughs> this is an amazing company, $2.5 trillion market cap. So that's almost, I don't know, 12, 13 times the size of AstraZeneca. So we've gone from mid cap to large cap, or mega cap to ultra Monster mega cap. cap. <laughs> Monster <laughs> cap, there you go. Uh, it's always so, that first trillion that's the hardest. It seems like just right. you know, just yesterday that it, 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 it hit that trillion dollar mark. But we are now at yeah. two and a half. Uh. That's right. That's right. And so... If we look at that weekly chart, we can see on Marcus Smith's pattern recognition, recon, recognition pattern uh, technology that this is not an early stage base, as you can see. All you know, um, arguably a, a first stage base took place in the 2018 to 2019 period, and since then it's created uh, uh, a series of other bases. So clearly, this is later stage, which increases risk that a future breakout could fail. Uh, look at the earnings growth rates, they've certainly slowed down. And you could expect that given that earnings per share since the fourth quarter of calendar 2020 have gone up 34%, 119%, 100%, 70%, and 25% in the fourth quarter of 2021. So going forward, Justin, we have Apple facing some really, really tough year-over-year -year comparisons or what like analysts on Wall Street like to call tough year-over-year -year comps. Uh, sales growth has decelerated, maintaining a double-digit clip. But yeah, we were, we've gone as high as 54% over the past eight quarters to down to 36%, 29%, and 11% increases. Uh, even the number of funds, surprisingly, dropped a little bit. From the fourth quarter of 2021, we had 6,000 121 mutual funds own this stock. Now it's at 6,167. So a drop of roughly, what, uh, 50, 54 funds. So that's, that's a pinprick, really. I mean, it's not, that's not like a, a major, major bloodletting in terms of the number of stocks owning, number of funds owning the stock. However, right now, uh, as you know, Justin, we, we are at an important crossroads for this company. Can it maintain 
support at that rising 40-week moving average? Can it mm-hmm. stay within this current base? Whatever, whither Apple goes, so does the, the market in, in large degree. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we just had Microsoft earnings. Uh, that was one of the things that was maybe driving the indexes a little bit higher. We certainly saw that in the futures market. Uh, didn't necessarily translate over into the next day, we had a lot of uh, back and forth action in the indexes. So remember that, uh, you know, this this podcast will be dropping tomorrow. Uh, at the end of the day, you're going to have those Apple earnings. But just remember, either way, you know, you don't necessarily, uh, you, you can't think that the index is going to do exactly what you think it might just based on the <laughs> earnings of one company. Um, you can You can project, but just be ready to look at what actually happens. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll also want to pay attention to any, any indications of inflation, the, the mm-hmm. war in Ukraine, the, the Federal Reserve's stance uh, going forward, because they are, they're expected to raise rates pretty quickly in both May, June, and July. So uh, it's certainly um, an interplay of many different elements. Mm-hmm. But to that end, you know, a lot of times there can be, you know, these levels of uncertainty, um, uh, as you mentioned at the outset, you can have a lot of bearishness, a lot of negativity and stuff like that. And sometimes that's when the market finds the gumption to turn itself around. So what would you suggest for people uh, you know, listening today? What should they be doing in the next week or so? Never take your eye off the market, for one. Uh, watch for that first potential up day in the market because every new uptrend starts with that first up day. We talk a lot about the follow through analysis. I'm, I'm sure uh, people listening in have, have read about that or heard about it uh, across all our channels. And keep an eye on those stocks that seem to be defying any future declines. And that means looking at the stock vis-a-vis its action around moving averages, formation of good bases, Keep an eye out for any new changes in sector rotation too, right, Justin? Uh, yeah. you know, we've seen a great rotation back into cyclical <laughs> uh, since uh, the October-November 2020 period. Pretty soon, it's going to be two years. I mean, in six six months, uh, who knows? Uh, will those stocks continue to rally? Will there be other leading sectors as well? Yeah. Always, always keep an eye on that because, uh, and that's where the relative strength line comes back in. Just to kind of take it full circle, uh, the relative strength will often cue you into, hey, where is that leadership uh, leadership now? Especially those relative strength lines. Finally, I would say that yeah, just a real quick extra comment is that, you know, on Investors.com, we have an amazing stock research tables that are categorized by first leading sectors among 33 sectors who are the leading sectors and then the stocks in those sectors are uh, alphabetized a to z right now there's a lot of defensiveness within the leading sectors whether it's utilities uh, we have obviously cyclicals energy uh, but we don't see that many growth sectors at the very top watch for any potential change there Good advice. Well, thank you again, David, for coming on. And as you mentioned, uh, people can follow you on Twitter at IBD underscore D Chung and also at your other one that has a little bit more flavor at Saito Chung, uh, two places to follow you and get more information. And of course, 
you do a lot of writing in the paper. So whether it's the big picture, um, all sorts of things, you'll just type in David's name and you're going to find him all over in terms of <laughs> articles uh, or his uh, very nice editing jobs that he does on a lot of the articles that you see. So you might not see his name on it, but his his fingers are in there. So <laughs> thank you very much for being on the show, David. Hey, Justin, it was a blast. Thank, thanks for having me. It was, it was really a lot of fun. Absolutely. Okay. And uh, next week, Arusha Paris will be back and uh, we will also have most likely a guest. We will stay tuned for that. So thanks for watching this week and we will see you next time. Take care. Make sure to subscribe, rate and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.